Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, or turn on your phone, whatever works best, to John chapter 6. I want to read just a couple portions of the Scripture, John chapter 6, as we uh, turn into the Word this morning. John chapter 6, reading verse 1. Before this, Jesus has been, uh, had a, an encounter with the um, uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, and so he's leaving that and now moving on here. And we read in verse 1. John writes, after this, Jesus went across the Lake Galilee. Many people followed him because they saw the miracles he did to heal the sick. Jesus went up on a hill and sat down there with his followers. It was almost the time for the Jewish Passover feast. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where can we buy enough bread for all these people to eat? Jesus asked Philip this question to test him because Jesus already knew what he planned to do. Philip answered, Someone would have to work almost a year to buy enough bread for each person to have only a little piece. Another one of his followers, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, Here is a boy with five loaves of barley bread and two little fish, and that is not enough for so many people. Jesus said, Tell the people to sit down. There was plenty of grass there, so about 5,000 men sat down there. Then Jesus took the loaves of bread, thanked God for them, and gave them to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, giving as much as the people wanted. When they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his followers, Gather the leftover pieces of fish and bread so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the pieces left from the five barley loaves. When the people saw this miracle that Jesus did, they said, He must truly be the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus knew that the people planned to come and take him by force and make him their king. So he left and went into the hills alone. Verse 25. And by the way, between 15 and 25, Jesus has crossed the sea or the Lake of Galilee. He's walked on water. The disciples have witnessed that. And now he's on the other side. Verse 25, we read. When the people found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You aren't looking for me because you saw me do miracles. You are looking for me because you ate the bread and were satisfied. Don't work for the food that spoils. Work for the food that stays good always and gives eternal life. The Son of Man will give you this food because on him God the Father has put his power. The people asked Jesus, what are the things God wants us to do? Jesus answered, the work God wants you to do is this, believe the one he sent. So the people asked, what miracle will you do? If we see a miracle, we will believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the desert. This is written in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It is my father who has given you the true bread from heaven. God's bread is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people said, Sir, give us this bread always. Then Jesus said, I am the bread that gives life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It would be a year later that Jesus would be sitting down with his disciples in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And he would take the bread and the wine and he would say, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood, eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. Now the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record that event. But what John does in John chapter 6, he actually takes the Passover feast a year before and he goes deeper into the meaning of what Jesus is speaking about when he says that I am the bread or I am this wine. And he does it in the context of these two miracles. 
The first one being the multiplication of the fish and the, and the bread, and the second one being his walking on the water that we read about earlier. Now, the people's response to the first miracle was that they wanted to take Jesus right away and make him king. But it was because they recognized the power that he had, the working of miracles, the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick, the multiplying of this food. They knew Jesus had the power to overthrow the Roman oppressors, and he also had the power to meet all of their needs. But Jesus says, that's not what my kingdom is about. You see, the people in Jesus' days, those who were following him on the desert side and the hillside to see what he was doing, they, they, they wanted to make Jesus king. And they were like many of us in what we do today, in that we kind of perceive Jesus coming into this world or coming into our life as this purpose being to take care of my problems. Uh, Jesus has come to take care of my enemies. He has come to meet my needs. He has come to make things work out well for me. And one of the things you'll remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem that weekend that he would be crucified is that many of those people who actually welcomed him with shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they worshiped him and they welcomed him as king, it would only be a few days later that many of those same people would actually turn on Jesus and be shouting, crucify him. Why? Because... He wasn't what they wanted him to be at that moment. And in the same way I've found over the years, there are many Christians who, when things are going well, it's praise the Lord. Oh, God is good. But when things aren't going too smoothly, they actually begin to wonder if it's even worth following Jesus. Or when life gets difficult, we find so many believers quickly relapsing into living life on their terms, justifying their sin or what they want to do. And so Jesus confronts this misunderstanding when he's at the other side the next day, the other side of the lake, after that miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish. He's over there, and the people are asking him, how'd you get here so fast? But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't even bother mentioning the miracle of walking on the water, because he knows the last thing these people need is just talk about another miracle, another fun story. In fact, Jesus challenges them again in verse 26. He says this, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miracle. You want to be with me because of what you can get, because I fed you. It's not because you believe in me. It's not because you understand what these miracles actually speak about. And then he says this in verse 53. I tell you the truth. You must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Otherwise, you will not have real life in you. Think about that for a moment. You must eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and you must drink his blood. Otherwise, you will not have real life in you. And what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about a quality of life that he has come to bring you and me that actually is about more than just being a face in the crowd. It's more than just being a follower who shuffles up to the table every time God has something to give, consumes it, and then goes back on their way. He's talking about a quality of life that actually means you are a disciple. You are someone who is being changed more to be like him. You are someone whose life is being shaped by his word. You are somebody who understands that when he speaks to you, he is speaking words of life. He's not giving us options He's given us revelation of how we can actually live this life that he's come to bring us. 
He said in verse 55, My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me, and I live in them. And then he gives this example from his own experience. The living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. You remember time and again Jesus saying, listen, all these things you're seeing happening, they're not happening because of me. They're happening because of the Father who lives me, who has sent me. It's by His authority, it's by His Spirit that these things happen. You see, without the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit Jesus gave you and me, without the Father living in Him, the same invitation He gives to you and me, Jesus would have been, like many people believe, He would have just been a good teacher. He would have been a wonderful man, a compassionate man. He would have done maybe many nice things, been involved in many charitable things. But that would be the extent of it. And those things are not bad. But he said, I want you to understand, everything that I do, that I am, that flows from me, is because I am living in my Father. And my Father is living in me. That's why these things are happening. And then he says, that whoever eats me will live because of me. In the same way that I am living in my Father, I am feeding on Him, and He lives in me and manifests Himself in me, that's what I have for you. In the same way, if you will eat of me, you will live in that same way. Your spirit will be alive in that same way. Now, people were understandably at that moment kind of confused by what it was that He was saying. And so Jesus makes it clear that He's talking about a spiritual reality. He says, I'm not talking about gnawing on a body. That's not what I'm saying, to physically chow down on me. He says this in verse 63. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh doesn't give life. The words that I speak to you that I've told you are Spirit, and they give life. That is, everything I've taught you, everything I'm speaking to you, is for you to understand how to be spiritually alive. How to not just be a face in the crowd. How not to be just somebody who's around when things happen that entertain you. I'm trying to explain to you, show you, I want you to experience what it means to actually become alive to God. To move from just the head and your belief system where actually the life of God is pulsating in your being. He's actually living through you. You see, Jesus is telling those of us who follow him that we have to move, as wonderful as it is, and we're thankful for it, that we have to move from forgiveness and salvation to actually discipleship. We have to move to a place where every day we are actually learning. We are hearing and we are obeying. We are practicing the things that the Lord shows us. Why? So that we can begin to allow the life of Jesus to actually happen in us. That's what we want, right? We don't want to just be following a belief system. We want the person of Jesus to be living through us. We want to see that happen. We want to experience and feel what it means to be full of the Lord. As Gerhard Dutoit said many years ago, the dream was to see churches full of people, what? Full of God. That's God's desire, that you be full of God, that you be full of Him. Now, the whole time Jesus is speaking to these people about the kingdom of God, their only thought, like many of us at times, is, okay, I love what He's saying, but how's this going to improve my life? What am I getting out of this? How's it going to benefit me? 
And so Jesus initially gets your attention through the miracle, but since most of them aren't interested in a personal or spiritual application of that miracle, they just leave. They just leave. Well, they're not against Jesus. They enjoyed the show, the oohs and the ahs, and some of them benefited from the miracles. But basically, they're gone back, and the, and the attitude is, hey, when he starts doing stuff again, give us a show, we'll be there. The next crusade, when Jesus is in town again, hey, we wouldn't miss it for the world. But then the same things happen. They oohed and ah and encouraged, and then back to their own life. So Jesus asked the disciples in verse 67, do you want to leave too? I mean, imagine this. All the miracles that Jesus did, thousands of people were there following him. And when the miracles stopped, every single person left. Only the disciples are there. And Jesus says, are you guys going too? But Peter answers, Lord, who we go to? You have the words that give eternal life. Lord, we believe in you. And friends, the Lord's call to all of us when he says, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. It's an invitation for you and me to literally ingest the life and the person of Jesus Christ into our system. That's how real, that's how tangible he wants to be to us. He doesn't want to just be out here. He doesn't want to just be something I believe, something that makes sense. He wants to fill me. That's why Jesus said to the early church, whatever you do, don't you leave this city until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you begin to try to live this life until the living God himself is actually evident in you, bubbling up out of you. He's inside of you. You are obsessed of God. That's what I have for you. It's not a mental thing. It's not a head thing. Jesus said, I will come and make my home in you. The Father will come and make his home in you. I will fill you to overflowing with the river of the Spirit. That's what we are meant to be. That's what it means to be the people of God. It's the people in whom God lives and in whom they are, he is seen. We can experience what it means for him to live in us and through us. Well, what does Jesus' flesh represent? Well, his flesh or his physical body represents true humanity. John said this in John chapter 1. The word, the expression of God in Jesus became a human and he lived among us. Heaven literally came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's something important for us to understand. And that is that we were never intended by God to look at Jesus and to think, well, as a perfect person, Jesus is a model for me to try to be, you know, try to do my best to imitate. Now that sounds nice, but it is not what God intended. He did not intend for us just to try to imitate Jesus and do our best to follow him. I think a lot of Christians think that way, and that's why a lot of Christians have given up. A lot of Christians get frustrated in their faith because they feel like I'm never going to measure up, and the reality is we can't measure up. Now, there is some value in asking in certain situations, what would Jesus do? But there has to be something more if Jesus is truly going to live in me. You see, the Bible says that Jesus came to this world so we could see how life was meant to be lived before our sin, before our self-will went and ruined everything. But when we look at Jesus, he didn't come to shame us by comparison. He says, I've come so you can look at Jesus with hope and know that if you will receive him and that if you will draw on his life, 
then the Holy Spirit can actually reproduce Jesus in you. And that's what Jesus is after. I'm not interested in you just believing in me in the sense that the gospel makes sense. That's, that's a good starting point. But I want to express myself through you. And for that to happen, you need to feed on me. Watchman Nee was a Chinese church leader in the early 1900s, and he said this, powerful statement. He said, God is not seeking a display of my Christ-likeness, but a manifestation of his Christ. Let that sink in. God is not looking for me to just imitate, try to copy, do the best I can to be like Jesus in every situation. No, he's not interested in imitation Jesus. He's interested what he has done through the cross and the blood of Jesus and the resurrection is he has done a work so that Jesus could literally manifest himself through me. That's what God the Father is after. He wants to see his son in you and living through you. Friends, hear me. He wants people to be able to look at us and not just see good people. That's a good thing. Not just see people who are different. He literally wants people to be able to look at you, and whether they know the name or not, they say, I see Jesus in your eyes. I see Jesus in your actions. I see Jesus in the demonstration of power as you move and minister among a broken world. That's what the Father is interested in. He's not interested in more religion. He's not interested in us trying really hard to imitate Jesus. He says, I want Jesus to be Jesus in you. That's the song we sing oh, a long time ago. Jesus be Jesus in me. Resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. That's the Father's desire for all of us. So God is not saying, look, here's the standard. Try to measure up. He is saying, if you will come and feed on Jesus, his life will begin to be expressed in you. We have a saying that you are what you eat. Now, I'm not even going to try to guess what you eat. <coughs> Pardon me. But Jesus says this, basically, you become what you feed on. You become what you feed on. And he invites you and me to feed on him. And he says, if you do, you'll have eternal life. And he's not just talking about the quality of life we'll have someday in heaven. He's talking about the quality of life that God has always intended for you and me to know and to live in now. That's what he wants to work in us. Now, Jesus' flesh, his physical life, represents true humanity. Because <clears throat> there's another side to this coin. And what I mean by that is if there's anything that's true about being human, it's that we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to pain, to suffering, to brokenness, to many different kinds of challenges. And friends, even though Jesus came as the sinless Son of God, a sinless human being, he was still subject to incredible suffering and incredible pain. You see, when we come to the Lord's table, the bread reminds us that following Jesus isn't just about victory and success. That's not all there is to it. He says there will be times when the presence and power of God in our lives are not going to prevent the problems. Ultimately, there's going to be joy. Ultimately, there will be strength. There will be lessons learned. There will be things we'll go through, and we'll look back and say, as hard as it was, I would never trade it for the world. 
for what God has shown me, what God has worked in me, the ways He's stretched me, the ways He's, he's broken me and remade me. Those, those are the seasons that all of us are welcome to enjoy. But between now and then, the Lord says, there's going to be struggles and there's going to be pain. You see, when Jesus says, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, He's reminding us that we can feed on His strength. But there will also be times that we will have to taste of His struggles and of His pain. That's why Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And if you're going to follow me, what did He say? You must pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. And that is in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of the pain, rather than laying down the cross like the crowd so many times would do and say, hey, I didn't buy, you know, buy into this. This is not what I bargained for. And so if you'll keep carrying that cross, if you will keep close to Christ, if you will feed on me, he says, I will give you strength to come through that struggle. And at the end of the struggle, it will be a glorious thing because you will see what I shaped in you. You will see more of me in you. And that's why the Lord allows brokenness. We have this theology in Western Christianity mostly, well, Jesus' body was broken so we wouldn't have to be broken. No. It's the only way you grow is through brokenness. Now, you don't have to be broken to pay for your sin. Christ has paid for your sin. But the pathway to wholeness is brokenness. What's he doing? He's breaking you so that the old you that is killing you dies. And the new you who is Christ in you actually grows in you. So why? So you don't just have a facsimile of Jesus. You have a manifestation of Jesus in you. And that's why he allows broken times to come. But you will only grow in those times. You'll only manifest him if you don't just walk away, but instead you say, Lord, as hard as this is, I am feeding on you. I am drawing on you. I am soaking in your presence. I am going to turn to your word. That's why James says in times of struggle, what do you do? Number one, turn to God. Submit to God. And then in his power, resist the accuser and he will flee. But you have to choose to feed on the Lord in good times and in bad times. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. We do contend for victory. We contend for deliverance. We contend for miracles. But when the answer doesn't come by some kind of supernatural intervention, Jesus says, listen, my friend, I want you to understand there's a whole nether level of provision that you're going to find just as satisfying if you will feed on the Lord in the midst of it. You become what you feed on. Well, what does Jesus' blood represent? That was his body. What does his blood represent? The Bible says in Leviticus 17, the life of every creature is in his blood. In other words, without blood, of course, our bodies cannot survive. And that really explains the words of Jesus when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood or you will not have what? Real life in you. You may have religious life. You may have superstitions. You may have a form of godliness, but you will not have real life in you unless you eat of me and drink from me. So what does Jesus' blood represent? Let me give you a few things quickly. One thing I jotted down is it represents forgiving grace. You see, as Jesus hung on the cross bleeding, what was he doing? He was paying for our sin. The Bible says this in Ephesians 1. We are set free, how? By the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's kindness and grace. You see, the cost for your sin and mine to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be washed away was the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And the reason the blood of Jesus Christ flows to me and flows into me is because what? In Christ, I become spiritually alive. And it is now the blood of Jesus, the spiritually, that flows through my veins as a spiritual man. And I am alive to God because Jesus flows through me by his precious blood. You see, when you invite Jesus into your life, you literally get a spiritual blood transfusion. Because you see, without Jesus, the Bible says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Your old man has to stay dead if you're going to be alive to Christ. And the way the old man stays dead is you come to Christ on a regular basis and you get an infusion of his life. Lord, I need you. Remember the old hymn? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount, no other source I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what he's done for me, forgiveness and grace. Also, the blood of Jesus represents atonement. I don't have time to go into a deep study of atonement, but simply to say this, we all understand that if a wrong has been committed, then it must be made right if there's ever going to be peace. We understand that, don't we? You see, the problem is, as human beings, is that without Jesus, we've become enslaved, we are trapped to this cycle of doing wrong and then feeling guilt and shame and then convincing ourselves that we either need to keep paying for our wrong or that we don't deserve to expect anything good in our lives. If anything, we expect to suffer. You see, that's the human psyche. That's kind of how it's wired in our DNA. Why? Because we understand as people created in the image of God that when wrong has been done, when sin has been done, there has to be payment in order for there to be peace. There's a cost to that, right? But the thing is what we do as human beings oftentimes is we do wrong, we sin, whatever it may be, and we think, I'm this or I'm that. Or I can't hope for this. I can't hope for that because of what I've done. Whether it's today, yesterday, or 20 years ago, the enemy will always bring it back to our mind. What, we are, what are we looking for? We're looking for atonement. We're looking for something, some action, some power that can actually break that cycle, and I can realize that I am forgiven and I'm clean, and I can go on to live in confidence. That's what I'm looking for. But you see, where the devil traps so many of us, even as believers, is we still buy into the lie. Yeah, I know the Lord died for me. I know he forgave my sins, but I did this again. I did this, did that, did the other thing. And what do you begin to think? Well, I can't go to God because I've done it too many times. Or I can't go to God because it's too soon, right? I've shared that many times. What do we do? I'll wait a few days. What are we doing? We're looking for atonement. We're trying to pay ourselves the price. We're trying to maybe, you know, bide more time or, or clean up our act and be a better person. But the problem is the sin is still there. The distance is still there. No matter what we do, we cannot atone for it. The only way we can atone for our sin is if we pay for it with our own life. But God says, I love you too much to let you pay it yourself. You can pay it, but then you're separated from me for eternity in this life as well. So I've made a provision for it to be paid for so you can actually go free free of guilt, free of shame. And you can go on living for God. That's what he says in 1 John 2. Jesus died in our place to what? Take away our sins. Completely remove them. You see, the blood of Jesus has the power to do what our own bleeding cannot do. Do you know why Jesus was beat up on on the cross? 
It's so you and I can stop beating up ourselves. That's what atonement is about. The Lord says, I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you. Stop listening to your own brain. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. You are forgiven. You are washed clean. As far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sin. I don't care if it's one time, ten times, a thousand times. If you repent, if you ask forgiveness, I have cleansed you by the blood of Jesus. You are completely free now. Stop beating up on yourself. You're not impressing me, and you're not helping yourself. You see, Jesus died not only to free us from the actions of our sin, he, he died to free us from the aftershocks of our sin, the guilt and the shame and the regrets and the confusion and the condemnation. The blood of Jesus breaks the power of sin. It cancels my debt, so that's all erased. Whatever it may be, I do not come to Jesus as some second-class citizen. I come as one who's been forgiven, who's been cleansed and is fully qualified to serve the living God. That's what Hebrews 9 says. His blood will make our consciences pure from useless acts so we may serve the living God. His blood also gives us confidence with God. The Bible is very clear that sin separates us from God. But it says if you'll ask Jesus to cleanse you, you can approach him at any time in worship and prayer. Ephesians 2. You who are far away from God are brought near through the blood of Christ's death. And finally, the blood of Jesus also represents our power over the accuser. Friends, when you truly begin to understand the power of Christ's blood applied to your life, then you really begin to trust in his righteousness, his life in you, rather than trusting in your own righteousness when the accuser, the devil, comes your way. I like the way Apostle Paul put it in Galatians 2.20. He said, I was put to death on the cross with Christ. You know the good news? I do not live anymore. It is Christ, the manifest is Christ, who now lives in me. I still live in my physical body, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I live by faith. I live in the knowledge, the absolute certainty that my sin is forgiven. I am clean because of what Jesus has done for me and he saved me. And friends, I know exactly what the devil says to you because he says the same things to me. We're all in the same boat. But when he tells you that your sin is too great, you need to tell him how great God's love is, how great his salvation is. When the devil reminds you of your sin, reminds you of your mistakes, reminds you of your regrets, whatever it may be, you need to remind him and you need to remind yourself that you know all that already. You already know that. But you also know that Jesus came to save sinners. And what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection and the sending of his Holy Spirit was so absolutely thorough in its power and its cleansing that there's nothing he can't handle. There's no sin, no matter how many sins no matter what they may be, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us completely from dead works. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.